Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. We're born connected to being... In this podcast, Eckhart talks to a live audience in Hawaii. He says aloha to the crowd and then explains the spiritual meaning of the word. He also mentions stillness, which he says is the essence of who we are. He defines stillness as the absence of internal noise and the incessant stream of self-centered, harmful thinking that keeps us from realizing our being. He says looking into the eyes of a baby is a spiritual experience. The baby looks back and the light of pure consciousness shines through. He says all who hold the baby are moved, and something deeper awakens. Eckhart believes we are born connected to being, but we're not fully aware of it yet. Aloha. (laughs) Although I will probably be talking quite a bit, Stillness is the essence of our retreat and also, of course, the essence of who you are. I wrote somewhere, you're never more completely yourself than when you're still. Stillness is not just the absence of noise. In English, you have the words silence and you have the word stillness. We could say that silence refers to the absence of external noise and stillness refers to the absence of internal noise. And what is internal noise? The incessant stream of continuous compulsive and to a large extent not only unnecessary but very often harmful thinking. Not the creative thinking, empowered thinking, but self-identified thinking. But if we describe stillness as an absence of something, stillness is also the presence of something. Well, not of something, it is presence itself. So that's the essence of our retreat, which is identical with the essence of who you are in the depth of being, because you are all human beings. 
the human is the person, or the, that's how I use the words, the human is the person, the personality, that conditioned entity. Everybody has one. And if you are completely identified with it, you don't have it, it has you. The personality, the conditioned entity is there and that's all you know of yourself. <laughs> and then you miss the most beautiful potential of human existence and that's the realization of being. And no matter what the person, the personality, the the human, no matter what it achieves in this world, it's fairly meaningless, in ultimate terms, fairly meaningless, and, and also it won't satisfy you, not for long. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new. Because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. As we are here, Aloha is the way in which people greet each other and also say goodbye. There's more to this word than meets the eye, or rather meets the ear. There's a deeply spiritual meaning to it. Aloha also means kindness, compassion, loving kindness. It describes a, ultimately a state of consciousness. And then I did some more research, extensive research on the word aloha. In other words, I googled it. <laughs> and I found uh, the etymology of the word, the origin of the word is Alo and Ha, and Alo, it seems, according to reliable sources on Google, Alo means presence, and Ha means breath. The presence of breath. Now, breath is a term that in many spiritual traditions, many different spiritual traditions, breath is a term that is equivalent to spirit. 
But Aloha points to is the, the, what you recognize in the other when you greet the other is the presence of the indwelling spirit of being. And that's beautiful. And this indwelling being or presence is what I sometimes refer to as the deep eye as opposed to the surface eye. Eye, the first person, the eye. Uh, the, the surface eye is the human and the deep eye is the being. So you are in the process, in this incarnation, of becoming a complete human being. You start with the being, but you're not conscious of it. You're connected to being before conceptualization arises in your mind. Uh, there's a natural connectedness with being, which, which you can see when you look into the eyes of a baby that hasn't learned language yet, hasn't learned concepts yet, and the baby looks at you, and you can see the light of being or consciousness shining through it. Not a thought in the baby's head, no judgment, just... <laughs> and then when a human looks into the eyes, it feels deeply touched. Oh! They don't know why, they say, oh! It awakens, briefly, it awakens something in them that deeper dimension. They cannot find this when they encounter a, a grown-up human or even a child that's already learned conceptualization, then it's not quite as easy to connect with the being because something obscures it. The stream of thinking and conceptualization and an identity that is derived from the stream of thinking and conceptualization obscures that deeper essence. So you're born with that essence, you are naturally connected to it, and then you are destined to lose it. Not lose it, but become disconnected from it as if it were in the same way that uh, if you were the richest person, it's a stupid analogy, but analogies are always limited. If you were the, the, one of the richest persons in the world, and you had all this, but you didn't know it. You have all these accounts in Switzerland with a billion dollars in it, but you, you don't know that you have an account in Switzerland. And so you're a beggar. <laughs> so it can be said that you are poor or you are rich. <laughs> In the same way, we can say that uh, to become disconnected from being is as if it, you were disconnected from it. Ultimately, you are not disconnected from it ever, but you're completely unaware of it. You've fallen into a, an unconscious state. And then you begin to suffer. And then, eventually, because suffering is everybody's spiritual teacher, even if they don't have any other spiritual teacher. Suffering is everybody's spiritual teacher and eventually in this lifetime or some other, suffering brings about an awakening.
what the actual spiritual teacher does it, uh, on this level here. Uh, he, she, whatever, saves time. You don't need to go through this enormous amount of suffering because you begin to realize that you begin to realize how suffering arises within you. The, the teaching of the Buddha who summarized his teaching by saying, I teach suffering and the end of suffering. That's the summary of the Buddha's teaching. I teach suffering means I show you how suffering arises. And, and then the end of suffering is I show you how suffering can end. But no human comes to a teacher unless they have already had their share of suffering. And that's why you're here. If you hadn't had your share of suffering, you wouldn't be ready yet. And I wouldn't be here, certainly, if I'd had a fantastic early life, first 20, 30 years of my life, and great childhood and happiness and perfect environment, everything going great, great starting a career, nothing going wrong in the career, perfectly healthy, then you have perfectly healthy children, and a beautiful, fantastic marriage, and everything is wonderful. <laughs> Anybody who has up to now has lived through what I just described is not going to be here. Be busy on their on their couch, binge watching Netflix. <laughs> and then they hear about something about awakening. They say, well, "Awakening? What's the point? I'm awakened already." <laughs> so again, the. So the, the aloha greeting is to be used respectfully and with, with awareness of its deeper meaning. In the same way that you have the, in India the namaste greeting, which is also equally beautiful and meaningful and profound. Namaste literally, as far as I know, means I bow to you. Now that you does not really refer to the person or the personality because on the level of the personality that you may be an obnoxious jerk. <laughs> so you cannot bow to an obnoxious jerk. The you refers to something deeper. I bow to the divinity in you, the essence of who you are, the, the being that is hiding underneath the surface of the personality. Perhaps not able to shine through yet because the personality is too dense. There's a density to it. And there's total identification with the stream of thinking. It never stops. And the entire identity is derived from the narrative that continuously arises and is continuously reinforced 
in their minds. Now some of you still have remnants of that. So as you come here, that conditioned mind-made entity, the self, that conditioned self, uh, you probably haven't left it behind at home. It's hard to leave it. It always tends to come with you wherever you go. Wherever you go, you find yourself. And sometimes people begin to notice that, for example, in relationships, they tend to encounter similar problems from one relationship to another and another and another. And why do I always meet these obnoxious jerks? <laughs> and then they may come to the wrong conclusion. All men are obnoxious jerks. <laughs> or the equivalent for women. Whatever the equivalent of obnoxious jerk is for women, I don't want to go there. You need to be careful in these sensitive times. You need to be... But I'm sure there is an equivalent term for it for women. So why are they all that they're all like that? And then, then you draw a conclusion, that's how it is. And from then on, this conclusion, which is a, a th thought that gets lodged in your mind, this conclusion that this is how they are, becomes the veil through which you perceive every man or every woman. It's just one example of, it can happen in many different ways. Then this becomes a heavy veil that you can no longer perceive or relate to the reality of the other because it's obscured by this very overpowering judgment of a conclusion that you have drawn. This is how it is. And then you, and once you, this is your expectation, and once you have decided every man is an obnoxious jerk or, or the other way around, uh, then you, you seek that in the other, where the, every time you meet, the obnoxious is going to come, come out any minute now. And then you might even want to draw it out just to try. <laughs> so the conditioned personality, which is fine, everybody has one, as I said, it travels with you on planes and on boats and in cars. It's always there. You, Sometimes you think for a moment it's, it's gone now and, and perhaps it is withdrawn and... And then somebody says something, a remark, something, you get triggered. <laughs> and these personalities are becoming more and more sensitive these days, it seems. That's why young people are particularly sensitive. Apparently, I read about it, they need trigger warnings. That any moment now, something that might trigger you is going to come up. They put trigger warnings in literature, in old books, because there's something that might upset you. Be careful. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
and the trigger, of course, uh, there's a reactivity that the reactivity strengthens the egoic self, which is the personality, the egoic self. Not, as I said, everybody, of course, has a personality, but the question is, are you the personality or do you have it? <laughs> everybody has one, but are you completely identified with this conditioned entity or is there d deeper awareness of something that transcends this conditioned entity? And that can arise in a simple moment of alert stillness. So, in that simple moment of alert stillness, who are you? Without any narrative, because if there's a moment of alert stillness, there's no narrative that says something about me, my life. My life is a heavy thing. It's what people call my life is a, a narrative in their mind. The title of it is My Life. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. And people carry this heavy burden. Many people have a fairly unhappy my life story. Unhappy is the burden of all the things that have happened to me. Or maybe even things that I did or shouldn't have done. It's all part of my life, what people did. You know, my failings, my successes too. Yeah, it's great. Some of it might be great. But, but then I lost it again uh, my life. In the moment of stillness, the narrative subsides and there's not uh, what is left of you when the narrative that tells you who you are subsides even for a moment, like now. Now you cannot say what is left of you, but you know that there's something left. You cannot name it because it's beyond concepts. However, it's a spiritual teacher's job to point to it, even with concepts, but they're just concepts like little signposts. And one of these signposts is, for example, what is left in that moment of stillness the realization that you are, but not what you are, that you are. 
in other words, a sense of presence, one could say. Not just an absence of thought, yes, also an absence of thought, but a presence, but not the presence of something. One could compare it to space, the space in this room allows all the content that is in this room to be here. The human bodies, furniture, there's the ceiling and the walls and so on, there's this room. But the vital thing about this room is the space in this room. That's because otherwise there wouldn't be a room. So the, the essence of it you cannot perceive, it is not something, but it enables everything to be. So in the external world we have this strange thing called space, which is not a thing. Nobody knows really what to do with it, what, in, what does it ever end? Outer space, because this space in this room goes on, it's, there's more space than in this room. And then you look up into the sky at night, just vast space, nothing but space except some lights in space. You could reduce the entire uh, universe uh, or reality, so-called, as consists of two things. This world, the world, let's say, consists of two things. Things and space. <laughs> there are objects everywhere. There's, there's the tiniest objects and the vast objects, the sun, the moon, the stars, planets, galaxies but they exist in this vast space. So the world consists of space and things in space, one could say. <laughs> but space is the essence of this room, and when you look up into the sky at night, and you are overcome by a sense of wonder, and it might stop your mind if you really look into the sky. That was my first ever meditation when I was an adolescent, maybe 15. I loved looking up into the sky and it stilled my mind. I didn't know that that's what it did. But I looked up into the sky and I went, oh, a sense of this English word awe is very strange, isn't it? Because it's, it's onomatopoeic, which means it imitates, the word imitates what, the, what, the, what it signifies. Like the word knock, knock. This is called onomatopoeic. It, it, or A-W-E, for those who don't, English is not your native language. <laughs> I believe it, yes. A-W-E. Oh, wow. Socrates said, philosophy begins in wonder. Wonder is you don't know. And wonder is, oh. So when you look up, up into the, this vast space, yes, it is filled with the most amazing things, galaxies, millions and billions of galaxies, and every galaxy is a universe. But, but even greater than the galaxies is the space, it's the vastness of space itself. And there's an equivalent to what we perceive as outer space within 
you. And in the same way that this outer space enables everything to be, there is that inner space that enables every thought and every sense perception to arise. That is consciousness itself. That is the inner space. And now when we go into that stillness, what is left of you is a sense of inner spaciousness, awareness. All we can say is you know that you are, this is the I am, but you don't add anything to it. In that sense of beingness or presence, you, you have no age. Doesn't matter whether you are 20 or 90, that in itself has no, you have no race, you have no gender. Sorry about people who are so interested in gender, but at the deepest level, you have the, the, the essence of who you are has no gender. No age, no gender, no. And that is what the Buddha referred to as emptiness, sunyata, which I would prefer the translation of spaciousness. And of course, Jesus refers to it as the kingdom of heaven, which is within you. And as you might know in my translation of this term, Kingdom of Heaven, my translation of it is different for contemporary humans. I retranslated it. Kingdom is dimension and of heaven. Heaven is the sky. In most languages, sky and heaven are the same word. The dimension of the sky, but what is the sky? Spaciousness, vast spaciousness. So he very cleverly or wisely used this thing in the, in the so-called outer world. He used that which is closest to that inner realm of consciousness itself, and that is the vast spaciousness of the sky. So dimension of spaciousness is kingdom of heaven and it is within you. And that's all. That is the essence of our retreat um, in case you're in a hurry and want to get back home. <laughs> more important things to do. <laughs> One thing after another. And everything demands your attention. And you sort something out here, and then something goes wrong there. 
So the, in the ordinary state of consciousness, which is a state of unconsciousness, the human is obsessed with objects, not only external objects, but objects of consciousness, of thoughts. Every thought is an object, a form that arises. So the human mind in its unconscious state is cluttered with stuff. One damn thing after another. That was Churchill's definition of history, human history, but it's also the definition of the human mind, the unobserved human mind. And so that it could be part of what travels with you, that could have come with you here. So something to look out for while you're here on this retreat, your mind. Watch your mind. That's a saying that I learned in a, when I was many, many, many years ago, visited a Buddhist monastery a few times. And uh, the monks, when they get upset with another monk who talks too much, when they would like to say, what did you shut up? <laughs> they don't say that, they're not allowed to say that, but they say, watch your mind. <laughs> and if the person that they speak to is extremely unconscious the person will of course reply you watch yours <laughs> so here a, f- a few practical considerations connected with this don't feed your mind with things that amplify the clutter, that add to the clutter in your mind that to some extent is already there. And one of the things that adds to the clutter of your mind is the the thing that everybody carries. Some people, their hand is beginning to adopt this shape even even when they are not holding it. Uh, I believe in a couple of hundred years most hands will look like this. <laughs> and uh, my suggestion or my recommendation is because this adds unnecessarily to the clutter of your mind. I'm not talking about a helpful text messages that to convey some interesting or useful information that you need. Is, that's fine. But people get this thing out when there's no no particular reason for getting it out. Simply because they need to fill this moment with something. You can see see people waiting for the elevator. Why can't they stand there for one minute in a state of peaceful beingness? No, they have to get out. And if you are not getting out yours, somebody next to you is getting out theirs, and somebody there says, then you get out yours too, because... uh, and then randomly you go on something. Oh. Oh. And you more clutter, clutter. This is a, an amplification of the clutter that was already there because the, before the clever human mind came up with these devices, the human mind was already cluttered. 
and now it's cluttered even more. So I recommend that you refrain from useless use of the device or use it as little as possible while you're here. Certainly not randomly get it out and go swiping. Another recommendation I have in order not to add to the clutter of your mind is please refrain from turning on your television. Okay, I'll try. (laughs) So if you substantially reduce the amount of time you spend with your device, that's a big gain. Do not be afraid of nothingness, no thingness in your life here. Do not be afraid of sitting or standing somewhere, just contemplating the environment, or being in your room without the need to fill this moment with something. The compulsion to continuously fill this moment with something. It is amazingly wonderful to, to be able to sit in your room, not for hours on end, don't, you don't have to over, overdo the beingness, because life is a dance between doing and being. Now, I, I don't teach doing because everybody's already great at doing. They're overdoing and overthinking because thinking is doing also. The thinking is doing, not just external doing. So everybody's great at doing. There are some workshops and teachings you can go to that teach you how to do more or better. That's fine. But this here, the emphasis is on the being dimension. The human needs to find the balance between being and doing. This is the teaching of being because being has largely been lost, the awareness of being, and it's a huge loss. It's a critical loss. It makes the individual human unhappy and it leads to the breakdown ultimately of civilization because with the loss of the being dimension, no civilization can survive for very long if there's not at least some some connection to being. Even though we are all aware that the established religions to a large extent have been traditionally been taken over by the human ego in the search for power and control, we all know that. And yet, that is all true. But there's always remained a remnant of a little bit of an opening into the spiritual dimension. Just a remnant that there was still still a possibility of maybe you go to church and maybe you sit and you hear the, the teachings of Jesus and at some level something seeps in and you go for a moment. Take no thought for the morrow, for the morrow will take thought for, for the things of itself, or really the old translation is. Uh, 
Look at the flowers of the field, how they live. They are not anxious or worried about tomorrow, and yet look at them in all their glory and what about, so why do you? But So perhaps they hear something like that in the church for a moment. Or, or this, uh, in, the, in, the, in that beautiful space of a temple or church, they, for a moment they experience something. Oh. So religion, yes, it provided also some structure in the human psyche that is on a more superficial level, that is not, not necessarily a bad thing either. But the, the connectedness with the, the transcendent in Buddhist countries, you have still I'm a, a little bit from familiarity with the southern Buddhist, the Theravada school of Buddhism. You have the monks, and there's not, I'm not, not every monk is enlightened, and in fact, most of them are not, but that's fine. They, they practice, some are. Some criminals become monks to escape from, from the police, but that's another story. <laughs> But they still, they, if they practice the teaching of the Buddha, they, they chant the teachings every day, and they, they receive um, their sustenance by going on arms rounds every day with their bowls, begging bowls, and then to the, the, the people who live in the village or the town, they put a little bit of food, so there's a connection and they have great respect still for the the monks, and there's a connection to this uh, some opening into the transcendent dimension. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Eckhart Tolle, Essential Teachings, the podcast. You can follow these essential teachings on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, go to Spotify and follow this podcast. Join us next week for more enlightened teachings from Eckhart Tolle. Thank you for listening. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. (laughs) 